Praise God. Good to see everybody. We've been going verse by verse again through the book of Revelation, as you know, on uh, Sunday mornings, but we've been doing some topical things here and there on Wednesdays. And I want to do a message where we're going to learn about a few different things. We're going to look at what might be considered by some to be a Bible discrepancy that I think was easily cleared up. I love, I've said this before, the toughest portions of Scripture are often my favorite portions of Scripture. Not only because they're a challenge and then, and then when you, you see them, it becomes just a glorious resolution, but it's often in those tougher parts of Scripture where the juiciest meat is, where God's most precious revelations are. Like when he's offering, tells Abraham to offer up Isaac on Mount Moriah, you know, 2,000 years before Christ, and you're like shaking your head like, what's going on there? And then you realize that that's a picture 2,000 years later where God's going to give his son on the same mountaintop as the perfect Lamb of God for the sins of the world. And it's not just that, that way with regard to typology and certain things like that that just make you at one time scratch your head and say, I'm, no, I'm just going to trust the Lord. He's good. I'm not going to throw out what I don't understand. I'm going to hold on to what I do understand, and that'll be clarified in time. Amen, because we see through a glass darkly. And it's great when that happens, but we'll look at a, a little bit of that in this message. We'll also look at the fact that, uh, you know, I love, if you've been here any time long, I can't, there's certain, mess, there's certain themes I cannot get away from. They're just ingrained in my being as a Christian since I've been seeking the Lord. And the more I seem to pray about them, the more fired up I get about them. And I think it's because uh, there's, th- there's things that need to be emphasized in this day and age that we live in, you know. And if you look at the prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, you might say, man, they're so fixed on this certain message. Well, it's because God gave them a message for the times. And one of the emphases in my ministry for a long time has, uh, been, uh, has been emphasis on emphasizing that Jesus is God, you know, uh, that, that he is God. Amen. And it's important to understand that. And uh, we'll be looking at that as well. And how many, do we have ever, do you have Anybody have Jehovah Witnesses knocking your door? Anybody? Ever? All of us, right? How would you like to have a message that you kind of have down pat to where you can hopefully, possibly bring them to Christ if they'll just listen? I've got like a whole packet of stuff that I found out years ago they won't look at, you know, literature written about them by others. But you can use their own material and say, look what you wrote. Look what the Watchtower wrote, right? And they'll, they'll look often and listen because it's their own material. So I've got a packet full of, does Jehovah have a prophet? Yes, it's the Watchtower organization. Then showing in their own prophecies where they missed 1914 and, you know, 1918 and 1925 and 1970s, Christ coming over and over again. They just falsely prophesied about when he would come back. To the point where at one point there were more ex-Jehovah Witnesses than Jehovah Witnesses, you know. But right now, I mean, they're the ones you see out there more than them and the Mormons. Along with, there's a lot of Christians out there. We've gone door to door, but not as many as there ought to be as, according to how many people claim to be Christians. And we go witnessing all the time. A lot of us go share the gospel. In fact, when we show our Marvel video, uh, and we're getting a lot closer, uh, we just did the, the shoot before the cameras last Friday, and it went really, really well. But prior to that, we went to New York to visit some of the home groups out there, some of our satellite uh, church groups out there. And we had a great time, but we went to Times Square. And it was awesome because I got to share the gospel with Spider-Man and with Iron Man. You know, the guys that dress up in the suits. And I'm happy to say both of them said they wanted to repent separately. And we're on camera and they're praying to seek the Lord, you know. So that was pretty cool. 
Uh, I'd do more street witnessing like that if it wasn't juggling a thousand and one other things because we were able to bring a lot of people to Christ that way. And I just encourage you to get out there, plant seeds, share the truth. People don't always come, but they, you're planting powerful seeds. My wife, Lisa, uh, she, you know, for years, she had a track. She'd get tracks when she'd go out to Third Street or whatever and party. That's where we go witness, one of the places we go witness, right? But before she was a Christian, and she had her tracks that she'd saved because she didn't want to get rid of something that had to do with God, even though she knew nothing about the Lord, never went to church, never been brought up that way. And uh, she put them right next to her shrooms, you know. And then when the time comes, she started re- reading them, and she got saved, you know. Not just through the tracks, but that was one of the things the Lord planted in her heart. So it's important to be a witness. But I want to talk about... The name of this message is Witnessing Jehovah to Jehovah Witnesses, okay? Uh, Telling Jehovah Witnesses about who Jehovah really is, who Yahweh really is. Uh, The favorite verse that most Jehovah Witnesses have, the one that they have down pat, some of them even have it memorized, is Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses, says Jehovah. And they, they translate the word the tetragrammaton in the Hebrew, YHWH, Jehovah usually. You are my witnesses, saith Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, and beside me there is no God. And we agree with that verse. But guess what? They believe Jehovah there just refers to the Father in heaven and not to the Son. And the big distinction they make between themselves and Christians when they go to door to door, is that Jesus isn't God, and we need to be witnesses of Jehovah, and Jesus is just the son of Jehovah. He's not Jehovah. And by the way, when you go through your Bible, and you go through the Old Testament, and you see, you don't typically see the word Jehovah, because usually you'll see a translation of what we call the Tetragrammaton. The Tetragrammaton is just simply four consonants, you know, in our English language, transliteration, Y-H-W-H, translated from the Hebrew characters. Now, it's important to understand why it's translated Lord over and over again is, well, we don't know exactly how that name was pronounced. You see, because that was the name of all names to Jews. And some scribes, they decided, you know, leaders among the Jews said, this name is so holy, we shouldn't even write it down or say it. God didn't say not to say his name, but they just decided that. So they took the vowels out. So we don't know how you say it. We know the best translation is not Jehovah, though. Probably not. Because in the Hebrew, you know, Y-H-W-H, there's no J there. There's no, the Germans added the J there for Jehovah. Uh, So we use the Y-H-W-H, and we often translate it what? Yahweh. I, I think I like the way Yahweh sounds, by the way, too, more than Jehovah, personally. You know? Uh, now, it's interesting. So, th- this was, so when you see that word, which comes up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand times easily, throughout, way more than that, in the Old Testament, how do you know it's a tetragrammaton? Come on, some of you know. It's, it's capitalized or what? Every what? Every letter is capitalized, L-O-R-D, okay? If it's just the first letter that's capitalized and then the O-R-D is in the lower case, it's typically what Hebrew word? Adonai, Adonai which means master or Lord. 
So when you're going through your Old Testament in almost every translation, uh, you'll see, you know, low caps except for the capital L with Adonai, and you'll see all caps, L-O-R-D, for Yahweh, okay? And, you know, in some translations, you'll have Jehovah sometimes, or sometimes we translate Yahweh in some translations, or Jehovah. King James has uh, translated Jehovah a few times here and there, not consistently. So it's important to understand that. And when I talk about witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses, these are people for whom Christ died. You could yourself have grown up, and maybe you did and became a Christian. We've seen in this fellowship after sharing with people, uh, I saw a gal, I ministered to my office here last Sunday, maybe it was a Sunday before that, and I shared Jesus is Yahweh from the Old Testament a few years ago, and she came to the Yahweh of the Bible, that Jesus is Yahweh, you know, and it was great seeing her a couple weeks ago. Uh, we've seen Mormons come to Christ that we've witnessed to, you know. There was a presentation we had done here, and the guy was bolting out two, three, three quarters of the way through. I caught him the way out. I had Bible studies with him for the next month or so and led him to, led him to Christ, you know. He's contacted me since. He went to uh, Europe and so forth, and I'm not sure if he still lives or not, and others as well. So you can bring cultists to Christ, but you need to use the word. You need to use the scripture, amen. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. You need to be praying for them and truly concerned about their, their, where they're at. So... I wanted to tie this message in, and one of the things that got me excited about this message is you remember last Wednesday, what did we look at? How did God show that he was the one true God? By waylaying what? The false gods of Egypt, amen. We went through all 10 plagues, amen? And we saw that the God of the Bible says that he is the one true God, and that he uh, will show and fight against or execute judgment against the false gods of Egypt who was keeping or holding the Israelites in slavery. And he revealed himself as the one true God. And we went through each of those false gods uh, that may have specifically be, been being targeted. It could have been far more than one God with each plague as well because they had gods related more than one God. There's a God of the Nile, Hopi, but then there was also a guardian of the Nile and so forth. So we could have went deeper than we did, but I wanted to cover a lot of ground. So I wanted to return to that theme just a little bit in the beginning of this message to emphasize not all those judgments, we won't even go through the details of those judgments, but to emphasize the God behind those judgments more. And we emphasized that last week, that he's, his name is Yahweh, and that he's the one true God. But I wanted to talk about that and look at the story arc a little bit in context of who God is, in context of understanding the discrepancy that some people believe there is in the Bible, and show that there's really not, but there's something heavy going on there, and in the context of also preparing you to witness the Jehovah's Witness at your door. You see, one thing that Jehovah's Witnesses do is they have their own translation. It's called the New World Translation. Okay? I call it the New World Abomination because that's what it really is. It twists a whole lot of things. But what's remarkable about the power of the Word of God is they try to obscure who Jesus is over and over again. You can show in their translation where they claim that they're trying to be consistent with the Hebrew and Greek language, where when it comes to Jesus, they diminish certain words that they use elsewhere when it comes to Jesus because they do not want their followers to know that Jesus is God. However, what's heavy about it is that it shows you the testimony, the power of the word of God. Even though they're butchering Jesus and mutilating him to a degree, he still shines out. Even in their own translation, you still see him as God. And you can show that to them in their own translation. That's what I want to help you with. So you can say, hey, can I use your Bible and I'll show you that Jesus is God? They'll be like, huh? <laughs> what? And I'll show you a passage that they love to bring Christians to 
And you can even bait them with that and let them think, oh, okay. You want to, oh, yeah, look. And then say, let's keep reading. And you'll say, you know what? You'll be able to show them who Jesus is. Because as Christians, we believe in the triunity of God. We believe that God is triune. In Genesis chapter 1, the first verses, in the beginning, God said, what? Let there be light. And it says God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then, it, but it says, but God is not El, it's Elohim, which is a plurality, right? And then he says, yes, let us, let us make man in our image. Yet God himself says in Isaiah, I made everything by myself. So who's the us there? And then we realize, and I don't have time to get into it because I want to get through all these, to all these Yahweh scriptures, but we realize, and I went through this in a message on typology, on Typologies Tuesday, uh, when we're on our podcast, where we go, we're going through Genesis, and when I show you that according to the uh, gram- grammatical construction, that, that the us has to refer to one, God. And we know in John chapter 1, the first few verses, the beginning was the word. The word was there, and he was what? With God, okay? And I'll say the word right here, because Jesus is at what hand of the Father? The right hand, right? Beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, dia, through him. And nothing came into being but by him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, amen? And then we have the Holy Spirit. It says that God sends forth his spirit, and we're created. They're all three involved in creation, you know, so this is important to understand. So we go to Exodus chapter 3. And we see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is like, hey, you know, God says, hey, you're going to go into Egypt and you're going to, I'm going to use you to deliver uh, the, the, my children, the children of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh. It looks like an impossible task and it would be outside of the power of God. Then the Lord reveals himself in verse 14. God said to Moses, because Moses says, you know, what shall I say to them? I mean, I, I can't do this. I mean, you're going to have to tell them. I want to know who, they're going to want to know who sent me. I'm going to say who, who, who sent me. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, what's interesting is you have within God's declaration of himself, okay? Look at verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, see the caps? Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. I'm sure they were wondering, doesn't God care? Sometimes you'll get to that point. Does God care? Does he even care? Yes, and you may not understand it, but he cares, but he wants you to cry out to him. And they were crying out. But Yahweh is going to deliver them. Now, something fascinating happens here is go to Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am who? The Lord. Lord. What's the Lord there? Is that Adonai or is that Yahweh? Yahweh. Yahweh. It's all caps, right? I am Yahweh. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But look at this. But by my name, what name? Yahweh. But by my name, I did not make myself known to them. Isn't that interesting? So some say they never knew the name Yahweh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
It's a new name. He's revealing it for the first time right here. Some will preach that. It's like, no, that's not true. Well, wait a minute. It says they didn't know him by that name. Well, go back to those passages and you'll see that he revealed that name to them. What's going on then? Well, if you go, and you don't have to right now, but if you go to uh, Genesis 12, 8, you'll see that God revealed himself and, verse, uh, and chapter 15, verse 2, and chapter 15, verse 7, that God revealed himself with the name Yahweh to Abraham. And guess what? In Genesis 26, 25, he reveals his, himself by the name Yahweh to Isaac. And to go to Jacob in chapter 28, verse 21, he reveals himself as Yahweh to not only Abraham and Isaac, but there to Jacob. Well, what's going on there? Well, you have to understand, when you talk about biblical names, so often they don't, their names weren't given like names are given so much in the Western world where it just sounds good. You know, someone's, people name their kids like their dogs, you know, what just sounds cool. They name them according to what? What meaning, right? A lot of times there's a meaning behind the name, amen? Because the name was descriptive of maybe the birth or something that was associated with the birth or something that the child was prophesied to be. Names were revelations of character, attributes perhaps, of the person depending on or attributes the parent hoped that the child would show. Western people do that as well and, and you know, people do that with their dogs too, bruiser or whatever they name their dog. You know, it'll be a tough dog, and you, you know, or whatever. But typically your name revealed who you were. But what the Lord is saying here is he did, it's not like he didn't use that name before and Abraham didn't know his name. It's he's revealing the meaning of that name in the Exodus. I am that I am. I exist. I'm real. I'm the one true God. I am. And I'm going to reveal my I amness, okay, over the Egyptian gods that I'm the one true God, amen? And all their idols are nothing. And their demons that stand behind those idols are not worthy of being worshiped. So there's new things in regard to who he is that they have not yet seen anywhere to the degree that they're going to see it in the Exodus. They're going to get an understanding of who God is. They're going to get a, a radical uh, it's not like the author of Exodus, which was also the author of Genesis, which was Moses, said, and just forgot. and said, oh, I'm going to have a new name. No, <laughs> I always use over and over again before you get here, okay? But God's revealing who he is. Are you with me? And it's interesting because the first thing the Lord reveals is uh, <laughs> that there's a new revelation of the meaning of Yahweh. And that is his I amness. That is I am that I am. He's beginning to reveal who he is. He is as uh, the one true God. And that's, that's, that's so important because first and foremost, he's showing that he exists. He's real. And secondly, he's going to show them that he exists over and above all those false gods. Amen. That those gods of Egypt, whether you're worshiping the Nile, which I'm going to turn to blood, whether you're worshiping uh, Ra or Horus, the sun god, boom, I'm turning to dark, lights are going out, all those different things. I'm showing you them who the one true God is. I'm the deliverer. And number three, a third thing that he's revealed himself regarding his name, Yahweh, is that he's the redeemer. Amen? He's going to redeem them, save them from Pharaoh and Egypt. And that's important to understand. In fact, we read in Exodus chapter 9, verse 14, if you want to go there, he says in chapter 9, verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you, 
and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no, God, no one like me in all the earth. He's going to show that he's the one true God, that Yahweh is that God. Because keep in mind, the, the Jews are seeing all these different gods being worshipped. They're slaves. It looks like, wow, the Egyptians are ruling the world. There's something to this magic and these demons and stuff they're worshipping. God's saying, hey, I'm the one, man. I'm, I'm the one. In fact, uh, check out chapter 14 and go to... Verse 4, thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God knew because he rose up Pharaoh, right? He knew what Pharaoh would do. He didn't rise up Moses to be Pharaoh. He rose up Moses to serve him because Moses was humble. Amen. But he knew Pharaoh would harden his heart through the plagues, that Pharaoh would get all ticked off. And God used the plagues to harden Pharaoh's heart because he knew how he'd react. And guess what? God's going to do this because he let Pharaoh show the supreme power of his army and that's no match for Yahweh. Amen? Amen. And that Yahweh is the one true God. And he certainly did that. Look at chapter 14, verse 31. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. They believed in the Yahweh. Y-H-W-H, Tetragrammaton. They all said and understood more who he was. Do you understand that? Wow, he's the one true God. Now we know who he is. Are you with me? They didn't know that. <laughs> no, they didn't have that understanding uh, as descendants of Abraham. And in his servant Moses, it goes on to say, so it's really, really profound what's going on there. Do you, do you have a better understanding of that? Amen. Okay, so when the, the skeptic says, well, it says it's the first time he's really showing them the name Yahweh. And they, but he already did, so it's contradiction. No, there's not. You need to know the context of what's going on. Okay, so that's, that's the problem with the people that you know, try to jump on discrepancies. They don't study, you know. They don't understand. So uh, it's interesting because God is doing a brand new thing with regard to delivering Egypt, amen? Then in the New Testament, when he brings a new covenant, he's doing a brand new thing again, amen? And God reveals another name of the Son of God. Oh, in the Old Testament, it's even prophesied, you shall call his name Emmanuel, Isaiah. When Christ comes on the scene, he's God with us. And they're told, Mary, you shall name him what? Joseph Mary told that they're to name him Jesus which means in, it's, in Greek, it's, or in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. In Greek, it's Iesus. And it means God saves. Because God has become a man now. Right? But now you have the incarnation. Amen? Amen. They didn't know him as Iesus or Yeshua. Amen? They had pictures like Joshua, the name in Hebrew. Joshua was the protege of Moses who brought them into the promised land because God didn't allow Moses to do it. And guess what? Joshua was a picture of Yeshua because that's his name in Hebrew, bringing his people into the promised land. So God had pictures and shadows of Yeshua to come. Uh, so the name was used, but they didn't really understand that name as applied to God until who? Jesus was given that name. Then it was like all made sense. Are you with me? It's really profound when you think about it. Now, Last Sunday, remember we had a message in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, right? And remember we were in John 12 and I mentioned to you, it says in John 12 that they didn't believe in Jesus, many of the, many of the Jewish leaders. Now keep in mind, all the early Christians were Jews. All, their first, all the books of the New Testament are written by Jews. So 
But those that didn't believe it says of them, Jesus says of them in verses like 38 through 42 where you read about them, and it, and, and it says, you know, that Isaiah spoke of them in reference to, uh, he, talk, he quotes basically when it says, they have eyes and they won't see and ears and they won't hear. And it says that the Lord, or Isaiah, this was said to Isaiah when he saw the Lord, when he saw Jesus. That's the context. They didn't believe in him, if you read the context. The context is they didn't believe in who? Jesus. Isaiah stated this, or it stated to Isaiah when he saw him. The context is Jesus. Well, guess what? You go to Isaiah chapter 1, and guess who's there talking? Yahweh. Yeah, he says he sees the Lord, Adonai, high and lifted up. And then it goes on to say, call him Yahweh. So he's called Adonai, Jesus, and he's called Yahweh there. And then the angels, the holy seraphim, or the burning ones who are actually cherubim. But they're called burning ones, but they're, the category of angel they are is cherubim. Okay? And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty of Jesus. So Jesus, and I'm not going through that. That's a great passage. We could have just looked at that and spent more time on that. But we just did that last Sunday. So I don't want to spend time in that again. But I want to bring your attention to it. There's a lot of heavy things going on. I thought, it's kind of interesting, Lord, what's on my heart today is to actually, part of Isaiah, part of Exodus, the things I preached in the last two weeks, a Wednesday and a Sunday, are converging together, showing that your son is Yahweh along with you. Because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are, the, are one being, one God. Okay? We're created in the image of God. Okay, Paul talks in praise that we'd be preserved body, soul, and spirit. He does. The Bible talks about the dividing of soul and spirit and bone and marrow, yet we have bodies as well. So the Bible teaches that there is in some way a tri- that we are a tripart being, okay? That's not perfectly analogous to the Holy Spirit or to the Trinity, though, because we are not three persons, amen? We don't have three centers of consciousness and so forth. Although there's a lot more to that mystery than we might understand being his image bearers because we don't really understand, you know, how spirit and soul divide and bone and marrow because marrow is part of the bone. Yet there's a distinction, right? So there's a lot of mystery when it comes to the Trinity of God. And that's why I don't give these robust, clear, specifically, this is exactly how you need to understand the Trinity. Because I don't want to create distinction where God's silent. I want to allow the mystery to be there. Okay? We can have conjecture and say, perhaps we can better understand the Trinity this way. But we have to be careful we're not dogmatic about it. Amen? Dig our feet in the ground, lest we bear false witness against who God is. The scriptures have plenty to say about who God is, amen? So we affirm what the scriptures say about who God is. But one thing that's very, 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 very clear is that the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is called God. Yet they're one, and they share the same essence. Yet they all share the name. Both the Father and the Son share the name Yahweh. And even the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Yahweh. So, in verse 3 of Isaiah, chapter 6, it says, And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, or will be full of his glory. There's no 
you know, the Hebrew is not clear there, but this is one, one thing that's clear is in chapter 6, verse 3, Jesus is called Yahweh. And just go to, <laughs> go to John chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. It says Isaiah was talking about, he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus when he saw him on the throne. Now, go to Mark chapter 1. Now, this isn't a message where I'm showing all these different scriptures where Jesus is God. Although we are doing that. But if I typically do that, guess where we're spending a ton of time? In the New Testament. And I'm going all over the New Testament. John 1, 1, we focus on that more. We'll focus on Ephesians. We'll focus on, on Romans. We'll focus on the book of Revelation. We'll, we'll focus on Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 3, uh, the first few verses. And Acts chapter 20, around verse 28 or so. And we'll be just all over the New Testament showing Jesus God. We've done that over and over again. I want to focus in the, on the, New Te- in the Old Testament. And I want you to tell the Jehovah, I want, yeah, they're going to have their Bible out. And you're going to have a good time. Okay? Showing them how Jesus is Yahweh. Because they don't believe the Father is Yahweh, but Jesus is not Jehovah. Jesus is not Yahweh. And in their translation, it's going to say that Jesus is Jehovah over and over again. And they're going to be like cross-eyed the first time they see it. And they're going to say, uh, can I come back with somebody? But it's not going to change the facts. So in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, what do we read? In the, uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, let's go, I'm sorry, chapter uh, 1, the very beginning of Mark. Mark is making something very clear. I love the Gospel of John because from the very get-go, you see who Jesus is, right? He's God in the flesh, the word that became flesh, amen? But guess what? You see the same thing in Mark. And in Mark chapter 1, let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 3. And I love to camp out here, but it says, in the beginning, uh, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the what? John the Baptist is the voice that's crying in the wilderness. And of him, is he, and it says in the Old Testament, quoting Isaiah, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he's letting us know that there's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of who? The Lord, right? And then right away he says, John the Baptist in the wilderness. Tells you how he's dressed. Camel skins, right? Right? Why is he emphasizing camel skins? Tells you what his diet was, locusts and honey. Why is he saying those things? Why is he giving those? Let him tell everybody else's diet and Mary ate this. That. No, because he's trying to emphasize he's in the wilderness, man. When you're in the wilderness, you eat locusts. That was the only insect that you could eat as a Jew, okay? And I imagine they didn't taste so bad if you covered them in a little bit of honey, you know? And he's wearing camel skins. He's in the wilderness. He's letting you know this is being fulfilled, right? And that's why he gives us these details. And then you find out that who's the Lord he's preparing the way for? Well, it's Jesus. And it says later that he's unworthy. John the Baptist says, I'm unworthy to, you know, touch his sandal even. Pretty heavy. But then if you go to Isaiah, and please do, go to uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And go ahead and look at verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert uh, in the desert. Now look, look at verse 3, the, the beginning of again. A voice calling, is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. That's John the Baptist is going to be crying out, and he was. But look at clear the way of for the Lord. What is the word Lord in Hebrew? 
What's that? Yahweh. Amen. It's all caps. It's capped for reason. He's clearing the way, John the Baptist, for who? Yahweh. In fact, look at the whole verse. A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our what? For our who? Our God. Are you here? Okay. Listen to the Jehovah's Witness translation. Joe and Mark, you can, do, you can use any of these or all of these. They give you some time. You can use all of them. But take them to Mark and say, hey, who's John the Baptist preparing the way for? The Lord. Who's the Lord? He's unworthy to unlatch his, his sandals. Well, let's go to Isaiah 40. And then you go to the Jehovah's Witnesses New World Translation. Listen to what it reads. I was on the Jehovah's Witnesses website a lot today where they have their own little Bible deal where you can click the book and the verses and so forth. And a voice of one calling in the wilderness. This is the New World Translation. Clear the way of Jehovah. <laughs> Make a straight highway uh, through the desert for our God. The New World Translation actually teaches that Jesus is Jehovah. They got it right. They just don't understand it, right? In fact, it's interesting. You can keep going. Look at verses 9 through 11. Just drop down a little bit. Get yourself up on high, on a high mountain. Isaiah chapter 40 again. O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice, mighty O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Preparing the way. That's the context for Yahweh. Here's your God. Yeah, God of the flesh. Amen. Verse 10, behold, the Lord, God, will come with might, with his arm rolling for, for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Verse 11, like a what? Shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm will he gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. That's just beautiful. So he is Yahweh. Now, you could go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Just hang a right and you'll hit Jeremiah from Isaiah and go to chapter 23, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. And we read in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Declares who? Yahweh. Yahweh. It's all caps. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That's a prophecy. A branch is going to come out of David. That's the Mashiach, the Messiah, Jesus. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the, in the land. Verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Praise the Lord. And this is the name by which he will be called. What? What's the name of the Messiah going to be? The Yahweh. Our righteousness. Jesus is Yahweh. Okay? That's just beautiful. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. It's it's awesome passage as well. So I'll just go there right now. Hang a right. You'll run into it again. It's a pretty big book. You'll you'll catch it. Ho, Zion, escape, verse 7. You who are living as a daughter of Babylon, or with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the what? The Yahweh of hosts. Caps, the Yahweh of hosts. After glory, he has sent me. Wait a minute. 
Yahweh of hosts has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, that's Yahweh's eye, for behold, I will wave my hand. Now when he says, I will wave my hand, notice the word my is capitalized in probably most of your translations, because the speaker here is also Yahweh. I wave my hand over them so that they will be, uh, there will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Yahweh of hosts has sent me, verse 10. Seeing for the joy and be, of, be, of joy and be glad, daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the what? Yahweh. So the Yahweh is declaring these things, and he's saying, Yahweh has sent me. Is anybody else tripping out of that? That's Yahweh right there saying, Yahweh has sent me. How could be there two Yahwehs? Because as Christians, we understand. God the Father is Yahweh. God the Son is Yahweh. We're talking about the same God different persons within the triune Godhead. Verse 11, many nations will join themselves to the Yahweh, Lord, in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. You catch that? There it is again. Watch verse 11. Many nations will join themselves to the Yahweh in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. There it is again throughout that passage, which is fascinating. The New World Translation, by the way, in verse 11, says many nations will join themselves to Jehovah in that day, and they will become my people, and I will reside in your midst, and you will know that Jehovah of armies has sent me to you. It's amazing. Now, it's interesting. When God judges Sodom and Gomorrah because of their, their, their sexual perversion and rains fire and brimstone, just destroys them, uh, you have Yahweh talking to Abraham and on the earth. And then in verse 22 of chapter 18, it says, uh, then it says, then the men, you could go to chapter 19 as I'm quoting this. Go to chapter 19, verse 23 and 24. It says, then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Yahweh. Before Yahweh. That's another time, by the way, his name is, Definitely said to Abraham. But then you go to chapter 19, the very next chapter, and you watch what happens when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 23, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord, that's Yahweh, all caps. Then Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the what? From the Yahweh out of where? Out of heaven. So you have the Yahweh that's speaking to Abraham on the earth bringing this to pass. And then in one verse, we read that that Yahweh rains fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Yahweh that's in heaven. Are you with me? Amen. It's heavy. Oh, by the way, the New World Translation, <laughs> the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible, then Jehovah made it rain sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. It came from heaven, from, uh, it came from Jehovah, from the heaven. They try to obscure it a little bit, but it's still there. It's kind of interesting. In Amos chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, it says, I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, this is God saying, it's kind of an interesting verse, verse 11. I overthrew you, he says in Amos, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, the Lord God, Yahweh, is saying, I overthrew you. As, guess what? God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And who is God called in Genesis 19, 24? Yahweh, right? 
Now go to Romans in the New Testament, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And when you get there, go ahead and pick it up at verse 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. And the ones that hit you the hardest might be the ones you write down and say, man, this one's so clear. But here in Romans 8, verses 8 through 13, we're, we're told, I'm sorry, Romans 8, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, Romans chapter 10, verse 8 through 13, is how to come to Christ, make a confession of Christ, and we read in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you what? Confess with your mouth, who? Jesus as what? Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be what? You'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him, who's it talking about? Jesus, Yeshua, right? Whoever believes in him, will not be disappointed. Then verse 12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Verse 13, for whoever will call upon the name of who? The The Lord will be saved. Now in the Greek, it translates this to kurios, which is the name for Lord, or despotes, depending on where you see Lord in the New Testament. And by the way, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it talks about how they prayed to God in chapter 4, the despotis, okay, which we get the word despot from. And in Jude, it says of the false teachers in verses 3 and 4, they deny the only despotis, the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. So he's called the Lord. And here Jesus is called the Lord, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But what is it in Hebrew? Well, you go to Joel chapter 2, verse 32. It's a quotation from Joel 2.32. And if you go to the Old Testament, to the book of Joel chapter 2, Verse 32, and it will come about that whoever calls on the name of who? The Yahweh will be delivered or saved from Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. There will be those who escape. And the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Yahweh calls. So the Yahweh in the Old Testament, do you think the Apostle Paul didn't know what he was doing? Remember, the Apostle Paul was having Christians killed. He was overseeing their deaths because of that confession that Jesus is Lord. You understand that, right? And now he's writing half the New Testament after the Lord appears to him, amen? And now he's not only confessing, but he's writing down that Jesus is Lord, he's master, but he's not just Adonai. He is taking verses in the Old Testament that speak of Yahweh and saying, that's who Yeshua is. Because he's God who became what? Who became flesh. By the way, the JW, Jehovah Witness New World Translation, Joel 2.32 says, and everyone who calls on the name of Jehovah will be saved. Yes, Jesus is Jehovah. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is such a powerful, powerful book. And this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And I love it, man. From beginning of chapter 2 onward, uh, it specifically gets so beautiful where it talks about how Jesus, although he had the very nature of, was in the very nature of God, took the very nature of a servant and was made in the likeness of, in human likeness. And then he humbled himself, even to the point of death, being obedient to the Father, to the point of death, and went not just to death, but to the death on the cross, amen? Therefore God highly exalted him. And what did God exalt him to? Well, gave him the name that's above every name, right? Look, go ahead and look at verse, uh, go ahead and pick it up at verse 
9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of who? Jesus. Jesus in the Greek. Every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's saying, hey, he's quoting the Old Testament. Saying every, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is, is Lord. Every knee is going to bow. He's going to be given the highest name. Well, guess what? Go to the Old Testament. See what he's quoting. Go to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And when you get there, go ahead and pick it up at verse 22. Who is Isaiah prophesying about that will be, everybody will give allegiance to and confess as Lord? Isaiah chapter 45, and every knee will bow to. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am who? God, and there is no other. Look at verse 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, and I will not turn back. That to me, every what? Knee will bow, and every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in who? The Lord. The Lord. Only in who? Adonai or Yahweh. It's all caps, Yahweh. Only in Yahweh are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry with him will be put to shame. Wow. In the Lord, in the Yahweh, all the offspring of Israel will be justified or made right and will, will glory. God's not done with Israel, folks. They're blind for a period of time. God turns again back to them. By the way, in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, a Jewish translation in the Greek language, the LXX we call it, when it says uh, in verse 24, I'm sorry, Septuagint, it says uh, literally every tongue will confess to God. Okay? It's very, very powerful. By the way, the Jehovah Witness translation, I looked it up on their website, New World Translation. It says, to me, every knee will bend, every tongue will swear loyalty, and say, surely in Jehovah are true righteousness and strength. Okay? They're going to be confessing to Jehovah. You come to the New Testament, Paul says, yeah, that's Jesus. Amen? So powerful. And we need to make sure we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. You know, God's timing is perfect, you know, and we live in some strange times. In John the Baptist's day, he's, he's preparing the way of the Lord, amen? He's, it was perfect timing. It says in Galatians that in the fullness of time, you know, God revealed his son. It was perfect timing. If you go back and you look at the culture, if you look at the language, the Greek language had spread throughout the world just in the nick of time. The Romans had built all these roads for transportation, literature, every, everything was perfect for Christ to come on the scene. If it would have come 100 years earlier, oh, it would have messed up the prophecy, you know, in Daniel's 69.7, so that wouldn't have worked anyway. But it was perfect timing. And guess what? They had to confess Christ as Lord. It could cost them their lives. But if you refuse to confess him as Lord, confess it, you, you lose not your life, you lose your eternal soul. Well, you know what? Go to Psalm 110. By the way, this is where Jehovah's Witnesses love to take Christians when they're at their door. And if they take you here, or you might suggest going there, they'll be like, oh, wow, I can't believe you're saying that. I can't wait to get there. And this is what they'll do with you when you get to Psalm 110. 
Go to Psalm 110, please. The Lord, and who's that? That's who? Yahweh. The Lord says to my what? Lord. What's the second time we read Lord? What's that in the Hebrew? Adonai, right? Because it's not capped, right? L-O-R-D aren't capped. So we got, yep, it's Adonai. The Lord, the Yahweh, says to my what? My Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. You know what Job Witness likes to say here? Look, Yahweh says, who is at his right hand? Adonai. So Jesus is referred to as who here? Come on. Come on, let's just say it. Adonai, right? Because you got Yahweh saying, because we know this is quoted over and over and over again in the New Testament of Jesus at his right hand. Jesus himself quotes this. So the Jehovahness will say, look, the Father's called Yahweh, and Jesus is just called Adonai. Which, by the way, you're not just called Adonai. That means master there, okay? But for the sake of their argument, we can appreciate the argument. There's a problem, though. First of all, when you see Adonai, it doesn't necessarily mean this is not the Lord God. Because in Joshua 3.13, guess what? God is clearly called, God the Father is called, Adonai. So Adonai is used interchangeably with Yahweh at times. Now if we stop here, it'll be okay, that's interesting, but what's your point? How is this a trap for the JW? Well, you just have to go down a few verses. Well, first of all, ask him this question. Here's what you do. You say to the Jehovah's Witness, you go, okay, so there's a father, and at what side is Jesus at? They say, well, it's right there. He's at what hand? The right hand. Then you say, well, where's the father then compared to Jesus? They'll say, he's at the? Where? He's at the left hand, right? Of course. Jesus at his right hand. He's at Jesus' left hand. Well, look at verse 5. I love this. The Lord is at your what? Right hand. Okay? He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Okay, now a lot of the, a lot of the uh, translations of, or uh, in the Hebrew, guess what you have in manuscripts? The Yahweh is at your right hand. Okay, which I just think is super, super cool. Okay, now also go to, oh, by the way, mm. Go to, oh, by the way, this is the New World Translation. Just go to their translation. Guess what we read? I went to their translation. And in verse 5, we read this. Jehovah himself is at your right hand. We don't want to miss that part. I almost went to the next verse. Isn't that awesome? Say, now let's look at your translation. First say, who's at the right hand? Jesus, okay. Who's at the left? Yahweh, the Father. Okay, let's look at what it says about the one on the right hand. Then have them read their translation. Jehovah himself is at your right hand. He'll certainly break kings to pieces on the day of his anger. Wow. Say, look, you just told me your own translation says that Jesus is Yahweh. Now how do they get out of that? They can't get out of it. Okay? That's one of my favorite ones to use. Is that a new one for you? It's a cool one, isn't it? It's always new things we can learn, you know? Now, 
It's interesting because in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, it says of the Holy Spirit, it says, Be brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who uh, arrested Jesus. So in Acts 1.16, we understand that David's statements and declarations were inspired by the Holy Spirit when he's writing scripture. Amen? Amen. But we read in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalm of Israel. The psalmist of Israel. Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord, that is in the Greek, or sorry, Hebrew, the spirit of the Yahweh spoke to me, and his word was on my tongue. So the Father's called Yahweh over and over again. Jesus is called Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Yahweh. It's a family name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of the one true God. Now, by the way, when we baptize people, Jesus said in chapter 28, verse 19, when we do baptisms, he said, baptize, go ye therefore and baptize them in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did he say names, plural? No. No translation that I've ever seen says names because in the Greek it's singular. Baptize them in the what? Name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because they are all the same one God. Okay, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, there's a distinction in uh, their personhood. Okay, they have uh, the Father relates to Jesus. He speaks to Jesus. He speaks of Jesus. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. Amen. Jesus speaks to the Father over and over again. Jesus says that the Father will send another comforter. In the Greek, it's another one just like me. Amen. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, yet he ascends, yet the Spirit is with him. Yet Jesus and the Father are also with them. Because there's this indwelling that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all share as by sharing the same essence. And all the illustrations don't seem to do justice to the triunity of God. Because you're trying to explain God. We don't even under our Son and ourselves, right? Perfectly, right? So we can't pretend to fully understand God. But my favorite illustration, and someday I'm going to actually do it up here is get three candles, but I only have two arms, so I'll, my hair will catch on fire. I'm going to be like Michael Jackson running around, you know? So I'll get some help. But if you put three flames together, three candles, you have three, but they all, you also have what when the flames come together? You have one. They're sharing the same essence. They're three. They're distinct in one way, but they're sharing the same essence in another. Okay? And that's one of the better ways I like to understand and comprehend, not that it's a perfect illustration, but there's no doubt. Go to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. A few more minutes and we'll be done. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. And there it says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, right? And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am what? Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, Yahweh, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Who's the Redeemer? Jesus, I am the what? I am the first and I am the last. How many first and last can there be, guys? And why is he saying I'm the first and last? Look at the next phrase. Beside me there is no what? There is no God. He's saying to qualify that he is definitely the one and only true God by declaring that he is the first and the last. 
right? There's none beside him. It's not that God has an origin story that he came, that he birthed out of a rock. No rocks existed. Nothing existed. God has just always existed. The Bible says he's from everlasting to everlasting. But in our awareness as human beings and having consciousness of something other than ourselves, we realize that he was from the beginning. He's without beginning of days, it actually says in Hebrews chapter 7. But for the sake of our understanding, he's first. Came before us, but he's always existed. But he claims to be the first and last. Yet guess what? That's who Jesus is. Go now to the New Testament, to the book Revelation, chapter 1. And we've gone through this before, and some of the other things we haven't, actually. But it's good to end here, because if all else fails, you're like, man, where were those passages? Man, I, I, I wish I had those notes. I should have I wrote my notes. I can't believe it. Joe, 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 witness at my door. It's the very next day, right? You're like, I'm sorry. I should have wrote these things down. What were those verses? And guess what? I can't pick up my phone every time someone calls or I'm always on the phone, never getting anything done, right? So here's what you do. I mean, I'll get back to you, but the JW will probably be gone. So you know what you do? You take your Bible and go to Revelation chapter 1 when all else fails. And you go to Revelation chapter 1, and you go to verse 7, and you read this. Behold, he comes with the clouds. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. I better, I'm quoting it from the King James. Let me read it to you. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And he asks the Jehovah's Witness who it's talking about, and they'll say who? They'll say Jesus. They'll, they'll say yes, Jesus. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. You say, who's that talking about? They'll say Jesus. Yeah, okay, look at the very next verse. What does he say? I am who? Alpha and the what? Omega. Those are the two Greek letters, the first and last letter of the Greek outfit. I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God. The Lord God, Amen. Who is and who was and who is to come. This is the context of Christ's coming. Then it says the who? The Almighty. Now at this point, the witness will say, Oh, well, maybe it's speaking to the Father there in verse 8 because Jesus can't be the first and the last. And, and you can quibble over that verse because, you know, even evangelical, conservative translators will uh, understand this verse a little differently. But guess what? You can't quibble over and they can't quibble over. Go to verse 17 and 18. Say, well, let's keep reading. Because they don't want him to be the first and last. Amen? Because they know you've just shown them Isaiah 44, 6. Write down Isaiah 44, 6 next to verses 17 and 18. If you believe it's okay to read, read in your Bible, write in your Bible. Some people don't like to do that. Like, oh, that's unbiblical. Where does it say that? Uh, second, second Jude, verse 4, I think. No, it doesn't say that. But it might be your preference. There's no second Jude, by the way. Verse 17, then I saw him. And by the way, he's seen a vision of Jesus. But you don't have to spell that out. You can just read it to him. When I saw him, he says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am what? I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was what? Dead. dead. Was the father ever dead? Did, did the father die on the cross for us? No, Jesus did. This is definitely speaking of Jesus. And the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus is the first and last. When you go to verse 8, we just read the first, last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, is the Almighty God. And by the way, that same God says in Isaiah 44, 6, that's the, the, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, 
Looks like two people, by the way. I am the first and last. Beside me, there is no God. This is a declaration that Jesus is, be- is clearly saying, I'm the only God. Then you go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 12. Verse 12. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 12. Go ahead and read it with me. We don't have to read it out loud, but check this out. This is Jesus again. We know it's Jesus from the context, and we'll see that. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. That's Jesus. He's coming back to bring his reward, right? To render to every man according to what he has done. I am who? The Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. By the way, does that sound familiar? That's what we read in Revelation chapter 1-8 of the Almighty. Amen? Those same exact descriptions, right? Uh, Along with who was and is and is to come. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. Verse 15. Jesus says, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. We know it's Jesus speaking. You know why? Look at verse 16. I... Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And in John chapter 8, now we started with Yahweh saying, I am that I am. Amen. In John chapter 8, verse 58 and 59, they're talking about Jesus, who he is, and trying to understand who you're saying you are. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, he says what? I am. I am. Ego Amy in the Greek, John 8, 58, 59. Okay? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Not good English, but perfect theology. Amen? Because he's identifying himself with the I am that I am in the Old Testament. And we know that they understood what he was saying. You know why? That's right, Jimmy. They picked up stones to kill him because they thought that was blasphemous to say that. But you know what? In same chapter, chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Okay? Now, in your English translation, it says, most likely, if you do not believe that I am he, the word he is not in the Greek. That's why it's probably italicized in most of your translations. He simply says, before Abraham was, I am. And right here he says, if you do not believe that I am, same Greek words, ego eimi, you will die in your sins. We cannot believe that some angel, as the Jehovah's Witnesses teaches, saves us. God says, I am the only Savior. Amen? Amen. He's the only one that saves. Amen? Amen? So have we had a good, strong feeding today? If a Jehovah Witness comes to your door tomorrow, are you going to call me up or you think you can hang? Just take them. If all else fails, go to Revelation chapter what? One. And then go, go to the first chapter and go to the last chapter. Isn't that interesting? Go to the Alpha, first chapter one, and the Omega, the last chapter of Revelation, and show that Yahweh, the Almighty God, is the Almighty claiming to be the first and last Claim to be the Alpha and Omega. And then you see Jesus say, I am the first and last. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I, Jesus, testify in the churches. Amen? Amen? So we have an awesome God. Jesus is Yahweh. Amen? So the name of this message is Witnessing Jehovah to Jehovah Witnesses. Amen? And it's all over the scripture. We can spend, you probably get the idea, we spend days on this, just keep going and going and going. It's just, and it's the beauty of studying the scripture. 
Because you know what? We've covered certain of these scriptures before. There's a lot of scriptures like Psalm 110, verse 1, and then verse 5 we've never even looked at before in this context. It's just everywhere. But praise God, God's revealed himself, amen? And we looked at chapter 3 and chapter 6 of Exodus where it says, I haven't revealed myself as Yahweh yet to you guys. Well, you said your name before. Oh, yeah, but he didn't reveal who he was as Yahweh, amen? Then we see him revealing who he is as Yahweh. And then we see him further reveal who he is. And that's why Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. Because he reveals himself, not just through the miracles when he delivers the people from Egypt. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, the first few verses, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's nature. And then you see, if you keep reading, the Father says to Jesus, the Father says to Jesus, that's what it says, right? Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. You created everything, the Father says to Jesus. Let all the angels of God worship him. Wait, you can't worship anyone but God. That's right. Jesus is God. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, you know, every house has a builder. Every building has a builder, it says, and the builder is greater than the house. Even so, Jesus is greater than Moses. What's the point of that? Because he says God, then he says God is the maker of all things. Because Jesus made Moses. And you know what? Like I said, we can just go on and on, and we are. Praise God. We'll say a prayer and we'll get done right on time.